0: Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about what is the effect that the COVID pandemic is having on kids, and then why is humor important in difficult times? You're listening to The Common Good. Good afternoon, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're really glad to have you joining us on this Wednesday afternoon. Uh, It is a beautiful day, and we should just do our weekly, our daily weather uh, reflection today. Beautiful. Makes me happy today. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really glad to hear that, Brian. Uh, Did you know it's nice out? I know you're normally in the basement, but have you at least gotten outside a little bit today at some point? I haven't met
1: outside in 17 days.
0: (laughs) You've quarantined yourself
1: from the outdoors. (laughs) Yeah, Voluntary basement quarantine. (laughs) <laughs> I, I stepped outside for about 30 seconds and just closed my eyes and faced the sun like a
0: like a crazy person just
1: to just to experience it and then came back inside.
0: You maximized your vitamin D and then you went back into the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. solitary confinement. <laughs> right. I'm in the shoe. Uh, well, it is beautiful out there on this Wednesday. We're glad to have you joining us. Uh, reminder, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Online, 1160hope.com. And as always, you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, we are grateful for those of you who have, uh, who have done that, who are listeners of the podcast, and who have subscribed in that way. It does help us, so we are thankful for that. Uh, Wanted to start today, not just talking generically uh, about the COVID-19 pandemic and, you know, some stats. We all know um, that there's lots of debate right now. What should be open? What shouldn't be open? Different states doing different things. Uh, With each day, I read of another lawsuit coming towards uh, Governor Pritzker. And uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how this all fleshes out. But I wanted to discuss... Uh, Two different articles, one from Healthline uh, that asks this question, how COVID-19 could affect kids' long-term social development. And it kind of bullet points out here and says social distancing may be particularly difficult for some children and teens. As children get older and are more socially adept, their peer group becomes the more important hub of their social development than their immediate family. Uh, Experts say that while some parents may worry about the impact of uh, stay-at-home orders, uh, they will likely bounce back quickly if isolation only lasts a few months. Kids may be lonely and in need of some additional attention and support from parents during this time. So I know your kids are really young, so I'm guessing this isn't an issue. But uh, is this something you've heard from your friends, your peer group, your church, people uh, concerned about what what uh, extensions of the stay at home order may in fact do to our kids, especially as school in the fall is getting kind of called into question is that a, Is that something you're hearing around the block right now?
1: I'm curious why you think it wouldn't be an issue in our house. Is it?
0: Well, I'm, just, oh, I'm, I'm curious. curious.
1: I'm curious. I'm curious why why you think that wouldn't that wouldn't apply to to kids as young as mine. That is
0: a great question. So. Uh, My first thought would be that uh, they're developmentally um, not at the spot where they have lots of friends. You know, they're probably not going to remember this, Um, that they probably are used to you know, just mom and dad. But I could be 100% wrong. As you know, it's been a very long time since I've had kids the age of your kids. So what are you seeing in your own kids?
1: Yeah, I mean, they're they're very social creatures, even though they're just two and one. And that's a great point. While they're maybe not forming memories the way that we would necessarily categorize as like, trajectory shifting they certainly pre-pandemic were used to a rhythm of hey on Wednesday we're going to go over to this friend's house and on Thursday we have like an open gym thing at the yellow box you get to meet other people so my wife is certainly I think feeling it or experiencing it uh, more aggressively than I am but there there most certainly is uh, a social extroverted output expected of her from the kids like even just even just earlier today you know I, I try to come up for a little bit of lunch around when they're going to bed so I can kind of help lay them down. And then her and I were chatting and then there was this lull and I was like, you need me to go somewhere else now, don't you? And she's like, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't get a lot of like not social time, which I thought was interesting because you don't maybe tend to think of like a one and two year old as needing social time, but they most certainly do. And so for yes, good point. my wife, who is very kind of attuned to her needs, uh, but introverted, she's feeling that like constant output, and is uh is 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 navigating that i think doing a great job of it but that's certainly that's certainly something that we're experiencing
0: that's interesting i learned something new there because i would have just thought a two and one year old they probably just enjoy having mom and dad around all the time and right right um yeah so my i have a 16 a 12 and a newly turned 11 year old uh and uh they're feeling it man like i think we, we have a ton of fun as a family and we're making the best of it. But sometimes I'll, you know, just kind of see them look a little down and I'll be like, what's going on? And they just say, you know, I, I miss my friends. I just yeah. miss my friends. And, right. and there's yeah. nothing you can do for them in that moment like. Right. I'm hoping we're about to get to a stage here in this pandemic where we can, you know, start to loosen that up a little bit. But for the time being, uh, you know, their rhythm is go to schools, go to you know, baseball or whatever, go see their friends, hang out with their friends. And right. uh, that's what they miss, this interaction. Uh, and so this this Healthline article says how parents can help kids continue to socially develop while stuck at home. It says both experts shared the following four tips that parents can use to help their children continue positive social development mm. while they're at home. Let me quickly read the all four and you tell me if uh, any of them stick out to you. Number one, provide opportunities for interactive play. So instead of setting younger kids in front of screens uh, and letting them have hours long conversations with friends, this person suggests having them do something interactive, like playing a board game with family members. Number two, give them outs. Many of our older kids will need some place to escape the togetherness of the quarantine. This mm-hmm. is developmentally appropriate. They miss their friends, but are also sometimes stressed by the constant presence of of their family Uh, number three understand their need to be online many teens crave social interaction if we want to keep them inside it's important to enable other ways for them to talk with their friends this person suggests becoming familiar with the apps teens are using help them set parameters but then let them use them Hmm. and number four encourage exercise every day Uh, This person says that while this may sound irrelevant to social development, it is, in fact, important to functioning and will help your child keep their equilibrium in these uncertain days. Uh, So those are four tips for those people with kids. Wondering if any of those uh, stood out to you as, yeah, I think that one's really important.
1: No, I don't like any of them. (laughs) Uh, No, I I think they're really good. It is interesting. Even this is anyone who's been a parent for longer than two years. This will be like a no, duh. But it's super fascinating for me to already notice the differences between what my two kids require and the type of interaction that one really resonates with. The other one has no interest in whatsoever and having to. Obviously, they're not two different species, but that's I'm learning a lot right now about how differently to approach what they need. And uh, that's that's been that's been a really fun journey.
0: Yeah, that number. The second one there about giving our kids out. Yeah. uh, We've all had moments in our house where it's like, man, the house feels really small. And right. uh, I've noticed them uh, just go into their room and close the door. And in the past, when things were, quote, unquote, more normal, I probably would have gone to them and been like, what's wrong? Like, why are you? in right. your You know, what's right. and now it's just like, OK, they just needed uh, they need that time right now yeah. uh, to just be on their own. So uh, y- you could find that article on our Facebook page. Uh, I was going to talk about another one about what college graduates have missed out. Maybe we'll tackle that another time. Uh, But coming up next, uh, feels like every day we're talking about something that Ed Stetzer wrote. Man, this guy's prolific in his writings. Uh, But at Christianity Today, he says, pivot in our mission, uh, convert from retreat into advance. We're going to talk about friend of the show, Ed Stetzer's newest article at Christianity Today, next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're glad to have you joining us today. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Find us on Twitter and on Instagram, at Common Good Talk. Uh, online, 1160hope.com. There you can find old shows, find uh, kind of our bios and pictures. You can see uh, who it is you're listening to, hopefully on a regular basis. And our podcast, get our podcast wherever it is you get podcasts, subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, we are grateful for those of you uh, who do that. So uh, somebody that we quote often on the show, and we've had him on the show before, is Ed Stetzer. You keep calling uh, Ed, him a, a friend of the show.
1: I, that, I don't know if that's a
0: fair assessment. Has he agreed to that title? I'm gonna, I, I think I'm, that's one of those things I'm going to speak into existence, uh, say one of just, those
1: things. What would be other examples of things you've
0: successfully spoken into existence? Have I told you about how my, me and my wife started dating? No, just kidding. <laughs> no, do tell. <laughs> I can wait. My goodness, just you know you want to date me. You know you do. <laughs> oh boy, gosh. No I'm God. kidding, Ooh, joking. We have her on the show. <laughs> the questions that we can ask our wives. That's yes. Right. Um, yeah, but Ed Stetzer writes in a lot of different places. Yesterday, we read an article of his out of Religion News um, that I would encourage you to search on Twitter because it was having some lively debates on the Twitter sphere yesterday around that article. Uh, but today at Christianity Today, uh, Ed mm-hmm. Stetzer wrote an article called The Pivot in Our Mission, Convert Retreat into Advance. The Underneath the, the byline says As we creep slowly forward, we dare not miss this opportunity to turn retreat into advance. So uh, talk a little bit about what Stetzer is talking about in this article. Yeah, I'll
1: I'll read from the beginning in a second, but his headings are, I think, really good. He talks about a renewed vision, reset your why, return to the mission, Mm -hmm. learn from the church. So I think, um, again, we won't have time to get into all of this, but I'll, I'll start from the top because I think it's really well written says, at his inaugural address in 1933, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, which is a great middle name, by the way, spoke yes, to is. a nation rocked by the Great Depression. He took the opportunity to turn the dire times into more noble response. He said, in part, so first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. Roosevelt saw the opportunity to take a difficult circumstance and pivot toward the future. This perspective is helpful for the church as well. You and I have not lived through a time like this in our lives. We can all agree we aren't going to miss terms like self-quarantine, social distancing, and shelter at home once this finally passes. But as we creep slowly forward, we dare not miss this opportunity to turn Retreat into advance. If you are a church leader, no doubt you were thinking at the start of your year about how to help your church be more effective in the work of the gospel in your community. You likely had conversations with staff and other leaders about how to minister to the marginalized in your community as well. Maybe you were focusing especially on the coming Easter season as a key to your plans when everything changed. It's easy to see the pandemic as a great interruption to be endured and forgotten instead of the great opportunity to pivot toward a renewed vision for ministry. We can learn much in this case from the life of Jesus. And so then he then goes to kind of lay out what that actually looks like, which I think is fully in line with how Stetzer thinks and writes. And it's been really, really cool to even have him here in Chicagoland thinking through some of these things for such a time as this. You had mentioned even with his initial Facebook Live that we had talked about a few weeks ago, it was like straight up prophetic really like it just felt like yeah. oh this is a yeah. voice we all should kind of be leaning into and what he does sort of in the rest of this article is not just for church leaders by the way but a kind of helpful framework for thinking through how do we not miss this opportunity in yeah. the midst of like some of our temptations to just endure it i think his his call to action and really conscious thought is super spot on
0: absolutely i think uh as you framed it that way um to see what we're going through right now in the stay at home and uh, everything changed as an opportunity rather than a pause or an annoyance or something to endure. Seeing it as opportunity, I think, is such an important perspective. Like it's an opportunity, like you said, for church leaders and churches, but it's also an opportunity for families, right? Like what do me and my wife do? Uh, want to accomplish in our marriage in this season of stay-at-home? What do we want to accomplish as parents, as a family, um, as church or whatever else it might be? And and that's been a, a, a mind shift for me because when this especially started, um, I did see it as a big disruption, right? Like this is all just an annoying disruption. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember one of the first people we had on, uh, gosh, eight weeks ago, seven weeks ago with this pandemic was Mark Job and yeah. uh, you know, president of Moody and uh, pastor of New Life Church throughout the city. And I remember when he said and it was so basic, he said the question he asks himself every day is, what am I going to wish I'd done during this time when it's all over? Hmm. Uh, has that thing has stuck with me since the day he said it? Like, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, what a great lens to look through. And so, you know. Stetzer says, ask yourself the question, why has God placed your church and your community at this time in history? Yeah. Why has he provided you the specific leadership gifts in your congregation and circumstances in which you minister? So staying in the present, I think, is so important.
1: Well, and he talks to kind of setting up the whole, the whole article and it's something we've talked about before. So much of what we read in the Gospels... Uh, were a result of Jesus being interrupted. You know, we we mm. tend to sometimes sterilize the stories because we're so familiar with them. But like, you know, the way that Stetzer frames, it, he says he had margin to minister. He was often going somewhere else and he was interrupted and something was a disruption, something other than what we know he was heading towards. And not to over-spiritualize a pandemic or our current cultural moment, but A lot of us, you know, we don't live with enough margin to even be open to the possibilities of what a disruption might reveal. And so he goes on to talk about resetting your why, and you were reading those. The return to mission. Uh, I thought these three were really good. He says, How do we affect change in a time of great upheaval? We do so in one of three ways. Number one, some things need to be maintained. Number two, some things need to be jettisoned. And number three, some things need to be adapted. And that alone is probably enough for some leaders to start breaking out in cold sweats. Cause that, you know, Andy Stanley writes a lot about, uh, how easy it is for us to fall in love with our methodology. And I think he said something like, um, marry your mission, but date your method like Mm. married to, yeah, the mission doesn't change. And we were given a mission by Jesus, but your methodology or your model or your strategy That stuff is going to have to shift anyway, even just under normal circumstances. This is like an accelerated microcosm right now. Like, do we actually have the willingness to let some stuff go, even though we really love that thing or we worked really hard to develop it? Like, it's a different reality right now. And I think I think we'll see a lot in the next six to 12 months uh, between which leaders and communities are willing to adapt and jettison and which ones are just not. I think that'll be really interesting.
0: Yeah, it will be. And when we come out of this, people just kind of, it makes you think of Jesus's words, right? Uh, New wine and old (laughs) wineskins. This is going to be, how will this change the church? But also, like I said before, how will this change us? Our marriages, our parenting, uh, all these things we've gone through. Stetzer ends the article this way. He says, uh, this is a time for gospel advance, not retreat. For renewed vision and ministry, not a return to the status quo. May the coming days be our best in service to our King, and that's a great way to close. And I would close it this way: Uh, Give yourself a lot of grace. Give yourself a lot of creativity. Throw stuff at the wall, and uh, and let's believe that God can and work can continue to work through His people, His church, uh, work through us as individuals in our neighborhoods and in our families as we're staying at home and as this is going on. So uh, we'll come up next, something that uh, we introduced a couple weeks ago uh, in the midst of all that's going on. We want to focus on some good news. So we've got some stories from the good news network uh, that we are excited to share with you. That's coming up next year on the common good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for some. Welcome back to the Common Good AM 1160 Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simkins. my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, As always, find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. You can find us online, 1160hope.com. Get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, We're grateful for those of you who do that. One of the things uh, that actually I believe Ian, you uh, introduced to the show and you Helped uh, introduce to me was this place called the Good News Network, goodnewsnetwork.org, where they just post nice heartwarming stories in the midst of, you know, most of our websites, most of our news uh, is necessarily filled with bad news and hard news. Uh, and so it's nice to kind of come up for air and get these good, heartwarming stories. So we're going to just read you some heartwarming, good news stories. But speaking of good news, before we do that, why don't you tell us about Thrivent?
1: I am so glad you asked, Brian. So Thrivent Financial, if you're just joining us, it's a uh, Fortune 500 non profit that I've been a part of for like seven or eight years. They've been around for more than 100, which is impressive. But uh, first place you can go is Thrivent.com to learn more. Also. If you're in a space where you're seriously considering a career change, or maybe not even seriously considering, maybe even just subtly considering, you can go to Thrivent.com slash careers. There's a ton of really great opportunities there. Plus, they've been providing and putting together a whole mess of really wonderful, helpful webinars to help people navigate not just financially, but in terms of uh, teaching your kids or managing stress or leading in crisis. And uh, we're posting all those links on our Facebook page, the Common Good Radio Show. You can also learn more at com slash Chicagoland or follow their Facebook page. But really, really grateful for them. And I can't encourage you enough to go check it out.
0: Awesome. So we hope that you uh, you keep uh, checking out Thrivent. They're a good sponsor here of the show and an organization we believe in very much. So uh, the Good News Network, I, put, I gave us four stories here. And uh, why don't you choose the first one? What's our first story from the Good News Network?
1: I think I'll probably go with video game streaming. Grandma is making profound impact on the lives Good of strangers news. across the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> this is how it, starts. it says she streams video games like Call of Duty from the basement where she lives every day, which at first sounds like the story of a young gamer going too far. The twist is that Michelle Statham is actually a grandmother living in her kid's basement. But don't call her Mrs. Statham or even Michelle. Instead, use her screen name. Tactical Grandma, or just Grandma. <laughs> Statham, started streaming, sorry, I gotta, Statham started streaming online five months ago, but already she is gaming content creator who is filling a void. Every day she listens to visitors who are struggling. Game streaming is a social format in which content creators like Tactical Grandma broadcast live video of the game they are playing. Public forums like Facebook are platforms that allow virtual strangers to tune in and join in. The viewer can see the gamer's face and interact with them, yet remain anonymous. This position of obscurity allows visitors to talk and post a comment while remaining nameless if they want. Tactical Grandma's viewers come from all walks of life. Many face challenges brought on by COVID-19, while others are single parent or dealing with the challenges of school or work. In the end, each person she speaks with receives comfort and advice. Someone who calms their fears in a way that only a grandma can do. I... Love this story. So there's more to the story, but so we can get to all of them. I'll I'll, uh, let us move on. But highly encourage you go and read this story because it is wonderful.
0: It is. And can't you just picture also our producer yelling? I saw Tactical Grandma at Lollapalooza. (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. 100 (laughs) percent. Next one from the Good News Network. Tiny Alaskan town grocer hailed as hero for sailing to Costco for groceries in a 14 hour round trip. Oh, my gosh. COVID 19 is impacting grocery store supply chains and demand schedules in both big cities and rural communities across America. But as Gustavus, an icy seaside town, seven hours from Juneau, the disruption is much more of a serious matter. In late April, the town's grocer set off from Gustavus in a small barge en route to the world's most remote Costco warehouse. After seven hours, Toshua Parker reached Juno, where he loaded pallets containing $20,000 worth of eggs, flour, meat, canned goods, produce, and we assume toilet paper for the lone grocer. It's what is required to run his small store called ice straight wholesale, also known family as Toshco, which keeps his 446 neighbors fed. It's a huge challenge, uh, As the isolation of the town presents difficulties, only the Alaskans understand. Without electricity or phone until the 80s and mid-90s, no road can even bring a car into town. 14 hours round trip to make it to the only Costco and got all that food.
1: (laughs) I mean, props to them, man. That is a good story. That is some good news, Brian. All right, coming up next here. After botched burglary of restaurant, owner offers free meals to anyone who is desperate. It says, for most restaurant owners, such a discovery would feel like bad times getting worse. In the midst of the pandemic, which has cost them so much business, Marco's Pizza Shop in the the Colony, Texas. What? The Colony, Texas. It looks like, yeah. It's called The Colony. They're both capitalized. I, that's what it seems like.
0: I, I live in The Colony, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing.
1: Anyway, it was robbed along with several other businesses in that community on April 19th. Based on surveillance from the security cameras, the burglars appeared to be amateur fumbling through drawers for five minutes and even trying to open the safe using a pizza, a pizza spatula. The pair <laughs> of would-be thieves walked away almost empty-handed because there wasn't much in the store to begin with. Uh, the owner took it as a reminder of the desperate times that we are living in and decided to do something to help. He posted a compassionate message to Facebook that read, in the coming months, if you find yourself in a situation unable to put food on the table, please stop by our store. There's no need to be shy or embarrassed. Just speak with the manager and quietly let us know that you've seen this post. We will make sure your family gets a meal. We are here because of our community, and these are very challenging times for all of us. We will do our best to help for as long as we can. Please feel free to share this post so that those who really need our help may see it. I I think, I mean, and again, it goes on to talk about how the, the post kind of picked up some steam and went a little kind of viral, but I I hope we see more and more stories like this of people saying, hey, there's no need for us to be treating each other like this. We're all kind of in this together, and we just
0: want to help. I mean, what a great illustration there of someone. They got robbed, and then (laughs) they go and reach out in that way. That's awesome. Last one, a mother's mighty love after 45 years apart. She knew you would be back. Hmm. Uh, The parents who adopted Bruce Hollywood long ago. Urged him to track down his Japanese birth mother, even offering to pay his plane fare. But he never became interested until he had a heart attack when he was lying in an ambulance and realized he regretted never reaching out to her. Hmm. Once he had recovered, he began searching for the woman who had given up for given him up for adoption to an American military couple stationed in Japan in 1960. He called both embassies with no luck. He then hired a private investigator. Still no luck. But the former Air Force colonel found himself sitting next to another army man at an airport wine bar one day. They struck up a conversation when Hollywood mentioned his unsuccessful search. The man offered to help with low expectations. Hollywood gave the man all the information that he'd collected. And 10 days later, he got a call from the Japanese embassy. The person on the phone said, Colonel Hollywood, we're really pleased to tell you that we found your mother. She's going to call you at this phone number in 10 minutes. She doesn't speak English. Good luck. Wow. (laughs) After finding an interpreter for the phone call, Hollywood finally got to speak to his mother, who was crying for joy. She was he was stunned by her love after 45 years of separation. Listen to this as they talk, overwhelmed with emotion, the interpreter told Hollywood, well, Tomorrow is your mother's 65th birthday and the birthday present that she dreamed of her whole life is that you would come back to her. Wow! Uh, he learned in fact, that it was she who had given him the name Bruce. They started flying back and forth, learning each other's language and over several years uh, have become very close. At the end, she says in her heart, there was only one ro- only room for one man and it was you. And she knew someday you would come back. Wow! That there is the essence of the Good News Network, right? There yeah, it is. Kidding. What a story! That's a great story. Well, we hope that you uh, enjoy those good news. Uh, you can go to goodnewsnetwork.org dot org org goodnewsnetwork dot org, and I promise you, you read through those stories, it'll put a smile on your face. Uh, Well, coming up next, an article out of the Gospel Coalition, uh, why it's important to have humor even in the midst of hard times. We're going to talk about humor and difficult times next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thank you for joining us today on this hump day, this Wednesday afternoon. Uh, find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, online eleven sixty hopecom Get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. Ian, do you even remember Hump Day? Does that even mean anything anymore? Now that even though we're staying at home, no, it didn't mean anything to begin with, oh. Brian. Oh, it did. Nope. I know you went around your house just yelling Hump Day. <laughs> Inaccurate. Nope. Inaccurate. Okay, a, a guy can hope. <laughs> uh, That's hey, the stuff you hope for, Brian. It is. It is. Yes. Before we get into this article from the Gospel Coalition about humor in the midst of difficult times, let me remind you of something good going on here at the radio station. Because during the coronavirus pandemic, we know that so many businesses have had to close their doors and reduce or reduce their hours. But we also know that there are many businesses that are open and serving the public as best they can. If you own or run a business that's still open and operating, uh, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, Go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. That's all one word. 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out the brief form, and we're going to compile all of that information and share it with our listeners. Here's the best part. It's totally free. No catch. So go to 1160hope.com slash open for (laughs) business. Oh, now we're just whistling for it. Okay, I'm good with that. Not a very good whistler either. Sorry about that. At the Gospel Coalition, gospelcoalition.org, uh, Rachel Jones wrote an article entitled Three Ways Humor Can Help in Hard Times. What is uh, her point in this?
1: Well, she sets it up wonderfully. I won't read it, but it's sort of uh, making the case that this reality has set us up for not only a, uh, an expanded vocabulary, like terms maybe that we wouldn't have necessarily used three months ago, but also a lot of opportunity for stress. You know, the example she gives at the beginning is like someone who's trying to have a Zoom conversation and their 18 point old is screaming their head off for no apparent reason. Yes. And she goes, uh, we may ask ourselves, is it right to laugh when people are sick and dying or grieving or facing financial ruin? Certainly something has gone seriously wrong with our sense of humor. If we're attempting to rejoice with those who mourn rather than mourning with them, there is a time to weep as well as a time to laugh. So James calls us to change our laughter to mourning as we repent of our sin. Some things are very, very serious. Not everything is funny, but lots of things are. Mm -hmm. When times are hard, many humans instinctively turn to humor, and Christians don't need to feel guilty about joining in on the fun. How we use humor will vary depending on our character, culture, and personality. While we should be aware of elevating humor to a virtue, as though funniness were next to godliness, it can be a good and even biblical way to help yourself and others survive a crisis. And then she says, consider three reasons believers can gladly enjoy humor in the midst of a pandemic. I think I've told you the story, by the way, of the eight-year-old that approached me one Sunday, upset that I used humor in my sermon.
0: You did, but you need to tell that story again because it's powerful.
1: Oh, it'll take it'll take too much time. It was just a concerned mom, and she asked if I would talk to her son, and he his kind of premise was, and he had a southern accent, I think. He's like, mister, I don't think it's appropriate that you were laughing at God up there. <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were laughing at God, buddy. Where do you think laughter and joy comes from? And he said, oh, God, I suppose. And I said, well, then wouldn't it make sense then when the people of God gather together that laughter and joy might be a part of that? And he like, thought about it and he goes... <laughs> Well, I'm going to have to think about that and get back to you, sir. And (laughs) at the age of eight, that's what I love about that story. So, yeah. So this topic is one that's kind of near and dear to me. So I'll I'll take number one. Go for it. And uh, she says, laughter is good for us. Numerous studies have shown how laughter is good for our physical and mental well-being. It's been found to reduce stress, lower blood pressure, and even boost the immune system. This should come as no surprise since the science merely backs up what scripture revealed centuries before. Quoting from Proverbs 17, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. A good laugh can't cure every illness, but it sure can make us feel a little better. And in God's kindness, this medicine is as available in bad times as well as good. Proverbs fifteen fifteen begins, all the days of the oppressed are wretched, but rather than go on to set up a contrast with the mirth of the wealthy, the second half of the verse delivers a twist. But the cheerful heart has a continual feast. The realities of this pandemic are certainly wretched, but cheerful hearts can still
0: find things to enjoy. That's good. Number two, laughter reveals our confidence. Christians can keep our sense of humor, even in the midst of uncertainty, because we can keep our confidence. Uh, The wife in Proverbs 31, quote, laughs at the time to come. She's not afraid of the future because she fears the sovereign Lord, and that confidence reveals itself in a lightness of spirit. Of course, this confidence is much easier to talk about than to feel. On those occasions, when we're gripped by worry, we can use humor to help us to help one another cut our fears down to size. When concerns have ballooned in our mind, a well-placed joke from a friend can be like a pin in its side. Mm-hmm. It won't make our problems go away, but it may make a little more room for hope to swell. Neither trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword can separate us from the love of Christ. And as we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, finding our confidence in our eternal future, hmm. our reasons to smile grow brighter. Oh, that's pretty good, man. This third one uh, is one that
1: I've I actually have really appreciated this perspective. Laughter encourages humility as a sidebar. Whenever I uh, think about leaders that I want to kind of model myself after, I always I, I always observe. Are they willing to actually laugh at themselves? I think it's yes. really kind of humility. She says, some of the funniest people I know are those for whom the jokes come from godly humility. They're quick to laugh at the expense of themselves and freely invite you to join in, yet are slow to laugh at the expense of others. That's the godly way to be funny. Their humor reveals their humility. And let's face it, we've all been humbled recently. This pandemic forces our culture to come to grips with the reality of our mortality. So it's interesting to note that when the preachers of Ecclesiastes reflect on mankind's bleak common destiny, his immediate application was go eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart. Enjoy life. Or, in the words of a friend of mine over the weekend, quote, I'm just trying to make the best of it and enjoy the little things. The next time something on social media makes you smile, you can enjoy it. You can like that it proves right the wisdom of God's word. You can like it because you are confident in God's power. And you can like that humor is the common grace gift to humanity. The world is not as it should be, but neither is it as bad as it could be. Not even now. And so... We laugh. Rachel Jones Mm. apparently is the editor at the good book company and author of several books, including is this it and five things to pray in a global crisis. It's not someone that I've known a whole lot about, but like
0: based on that article, I would love, I would love to learn more about her work. Yeah. Yeah. Haven't you had that? um, I'm sure you've had this experience where you're at a funeral or leading a funeral, or maybe it's a funeral of your own loved ones where people are so sad and then laughing you've ever had that experience where um, and I know there's some, there's some brain science reasons for that about laughter and and crying, being very close to each other in the brain and such, but I've always found that to be interesting, right? Like the laughter at a funeral can almost be uh, so rich that it kind of pops the balloon a little bit and remind, you know, kind of shakes you up a little bit. And I think that's what this is getting at. Like if, if any of you out there need permission right now to laugh, ah, gosh, like, if we don't like, 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 think about this and like, what is the result going to be if we're like, Nope, no laughter. We can't, you know, we just have to be grim. We're not going to make it through this then. Yeah.
1: I, I think maybe the reason people don't laugh though, is they feel that they don't have permission. It's not like a decision not to, but it's some kind of like underlying guilt that like oh, things are too serious to yeah. laugh right now, which is a legitimate feeling. Like I, I want to be mindful and respect that perspective too, because there is a right and wrong time. I think in some cases, to laugh or not laugh, you know, and I remember one of the first funerals I did before he passed, he, uh, he pulled me really close and he said, don't let my funeral be lame. And like, as a result, it was the most laughter I think I've ever experienced at a funeral. And it Mm. was remarkably healing. Like there was something, I'm very grateful for that experience early in my twenties to see early on, man, laughter, even in a really unlikely environment can actually bring a whole lot of healing. And I, I think there's wisdom to that.
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, you can get that article from the Gospel Coalition at our Facebook page. Coming up next, uh, I want to reflect on a tweet from a pastor that I really respect that that might rile some people up. So we're going to do that next. Coming up here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up this hour, we're going to discuss a tweet that may rile some of you up. And then we're going to talk about things we can learn from a pastor who endured for 70 years. That's coming up next year on The Common Good. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks again for joining us on this Wednesday afternoon as a reminder you can find us on facebook at the common good radio show that's the common good radio show you can find us on twitter at common good talk online 1160 hope.com and you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast subscribe rate and review We are we are really grateful to those of you uh, who have done that before. Sometimes I wish all of you out there could hear our conversations off air right now. I'm I'm getting roasted about over the scene, and I I think that um, I owe my wife an apology because apparently I didn't 20 years ago uh, realize that you're supposed to get your uh, your fiance or your new spouse a gift for your own wedding. Is this something? Am I I a bad husband? That's my question for you today.
1: Oh, I don't think I should be answering that over the air.
0: You did off the air. (laughs) Yeah, intentionally so. (laughs) Yeah, I learn stuff new on this uh, show every day. So uh, don't take dating and marriage advice from me is what I've learned today. So uh, are you giving uh, a lot
1: of dating advice?
0: I probably shouldn't be. No, I do not. I do not. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And now I know why. Right. So, I was on Twitter. I was perusing Twitter as one does and came across Jim, uh, Pastor Jim Simbola. Uh, Jim Simbola is Brooklyn Tabernacle. He started and is the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. You probably have heard of that church, the Brooklyn mm-hmm. Tabernacle Choir. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has written many books Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, uh, some other really good books. Uh, pastor Simbola uh is has a lot of wisdom and here's the tweet i want to read and ian i think this is either going to be a good conversation or it's going to get us into places that you know what are just going to get us in trouble but we're going to hmm. give it a try hmm. uh, pastor Simba tweeted this yesterday morning he t- he tweeted we're not citizens first of the united states or whatever country you are from our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, Philippians chapter three, verse twenty. And he hashtagged it um, Monday motivation. Oh. Uh, so he says, "We're not citizens first of the United States." Um, how, how do I ask you this? Is because I know you agree with this, but do you think this is something that most people agree with, or is this something that, if he were to say this from a pulpit, would rile a lot of Christians up? What do you What do you think? Uh, how do you think most? Uh, evangelical Christians would take a statement like this.
1: I, I don't find it nearly as riling as as you do. I'd be curious to know why you think I mean, you sort of, sort of showed your cards like, yeah, this tweet's going to upset some people. I, maybe this has to do with upbringing or the streams that I swim in. He, he's not saying that we're not citizens of the United States or that we don't have any heritage. He says first. We're not first citizens of the United States or the country that we're from. I think most Christians yeah. in high limited experience would likely agree with
0: that. Has that not been your experience? I think they would agree with that. I just think um, a lot of Christians I know, i painting with a broad brush here, sure. really wrap up uh, their Christianity with their patriotism. And so it's hard to, to, to pull the two apart. Uh, does that make sense? It's yeah. hard to. It's hard to untie the two. And that's what he's trying to do here, because, uh, I mean, let's talk about the implications of living this out. And you do make a good point because the word first there is really important. Right. We're not citizens first. He doesn't say we're not citizens of the United States. He says we're not citizens first of the United States. But uh, somebody might be out there wondering, well, why does this make a difference? Where would this make a difference? Uh, If somebody asked you that question, Uh, How would you answer that?
1: Uh, Gosh, that's a complicated question. I think Paul elsewhere, uh, it's probably Colossians 3, I imagine. He he has sort of a similar sentiment conveyed there, and he talks about letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. He talks about um, letting the word of Christ dwell in us, right, to to like clothe ourselves in a certain kind of behavior. I think part of what is often missed is, Is the flip of this when we talk about like, hey, this world's not my home. So let it burn. That Mm. also sometimes tends to be, unfortunately, a bizarre counter application to this where, hey, my citizenship isn't here. It's heaven. So it doesn't really matter how I treat creation or my neighbor. Like usually people aren't that uh, blatant about it, but it certainly can create a kind of apathy towards caring for the earth. And that often, I think, dismisses or conveniently forgets that part of how we're taught to pray is that heaven would come to earth, that his kingdom would come here and now. And so sometimes when we create this weird citizenship conversation where, like, I'm either first and foremost, a red, white and blue American or, well, this is all going to burn anyway, so it doesn't really matter. I think both extremes are uh,
0: in error and unhelpful. How would you, I agree with you, then what would, uh, if both extremes are unhelpful, then what is the correct middle? What does that look like for you?
1: Well, yeah, I think I won't, I won't in any way pretend that I have some kind of like silver bullet solution or the right answer. I can tell you how it sort of lived out in my life. I think it's a, it's a, it's a both. And, you know, when you think about like in Puritan theology, they had two words that they would uh, use when talking about sanctification, which is like the act of God making us into who we actually are. Mortification is the one word they use. And that was like the putting to death that which is sinful or broken in us. But the other piece is the thing that I think a lot of us forget about. It's called vivification. And that is the like thinking on such things. It's like choosing. It's not just about like, oh, here's the stuff we don't do, the stuff we abstain from as Christians, but also choosing where my mind resides, choosing how I view my body as a temple, choosing how I love myself and neighbor. Uh, Those are things that I think when it comes to citizenship, part of what I think Paul is getting after is, man, a lot of people around you are only going to be looking out for themselves. They're only going to maybe in modern terms, they're only interested in climbing some ladder or their own success at all costs. He's like people who realize their citizenship is bigger and grander than just their 80 years here will affect the way that they spend their money and treat their spouse and speak of people who disagree with them. I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunities to see those applications lived out, um, but it has to do with a, what, what does it mean to live as resurrection people? It's not about, Oh, I get to go to the good place instead of the bad place. When I die, it's about, it's about a newness of life. It's a life abundance that we live right here and now. And part of that is recognizing everything as a gift. And so when you recognize every good meal and the beautiful sunset, and the house that you have. And even the neighbor across the street that drives you nut all of that mm-hmm. is an opportunity to live. There's no sacred secular divide for the Christ follower. All of it is yep. sacred. And when Paul talks about like eating or drinking, whatever you're doing, do it all to the glory of God. That's part of what it means to live with your true citizenship in mind.
0: I think. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I also think uh, when he holds up this dichotomy of, uh you know, citizen of heaven, citizen of the say the United States of America, uh there will come times when your uh your Jesus worldview, right, uh is at odds with maybe the American worldview. Like yeah. those are not always synonymous with each other. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're in step with each other, but right. sometimes they're not. And when they're not, I think what Pastor Simba reminds us of here with this uh motivation, this quote is uh, we choose the Jesus worldview, and and that could be hard to even think through. Like I would challenge people out there to even think to themselves where where are the differences, right? Because yeah. um, they get so muddled together that that to ask yourself, um, you know, are there things that are part of you know the American worldview that that may not line up very well with the teachings of Jesus? And then what would it mean for me to follow the teachings of Jesus here? And and I think that's where it gets uh, it gets messy. As Sybil has said here, it's not about rejecting your uh, – you know, uh, I, I love America. I love living here. Uh, but ultimately, who's our Lord? Who's our Savior? Who's – what are we – where is our citizenship lie? I think that's an important question for us to wrestle with. Uh, and if you're like, man, that doesn't make sense to me, I think the first spot to start is to just have that conversation with people. Start thinking about it. Where don't they match up? How would they? Look different. So, uh, grateful for Pastor Simbla and all of his great work and for that tweet here on the Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to the Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, You know, one of the crazy things going on right now is, Ian, could you imagine what it would be like to be graduating college right now and like, It feels like the lack of closure would be really hard and how sad it would be to miss graduation. I have such good memories of that in my own life.
1: Well, I mean, as someone who had a homeschool, high school graduation, I most certainly can picture some of it. (laughs) Did you really? Oh, yeah. Were you the valedictorian of your homeschool class? Yeah, I was uh, captain of all the sports offered. I was the prom king and queen. So nice, lots of, <laughs> lots of lots of. I put that
0: on a resume once, and they did not find that funny at all. I can imagine. I can imagine. But then again, you probably wouldn't have lasted at whatever you were playing for very long if they didn't find that funny. So yeah, I think it was uh, Chili's or Applebee's or something. Yeah, uh, but it would be hard. It would be hard for these kids who are kids, yeah, these true. students who've put in the four years. Uh, missing the end of your senior year and then missing the graduation uh, ceremony. I I think that's something you never really get back. And so uh, colleges are trying to make the best of it. And a week ago uh, at Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio, uh, they had a special message given to their seniors, kind of the commencement address, but given over Facebook and Twitter, uh, given by Tom Hanks. And uh, what a thrill this must have been for the students and uh, it's about five minutes long, but I found it really encouraging. So I want us to hear it, and then we'll react to it coming out. This is Tom Hanks with a special special message for the Wright State University Class of 2020.
2: I'm here to say congratulations. Congratulations to you chosen ones. And I am calling you the chosen ones because you have been chosen in many ways. First, by the temperament and discipline you've You've lived by, by the creative fires that are inside of you and the instinctive lunges of your desires. There is something about you, all of you, in your upbringing and your background and your conscious memories and your ongoing mysteries, something that has driven you to complete your choice, your courses and achieve your selected challenges and cross the Rubicon of your time there, your studies at Wright State. You succeeded because of the aid and the love of others that are in your lives without a doubt. But you have succeeded mostly because you and you alone chose to do so. You are the chosen ones. You are the chosen ones because of a fate unimagined when you began your right state adventures. You started in the olden times and the world back before the great pandemic of 2020. You will talk of those earlier years in your lives just that way. Well, that was back before the COVID-19. That was before the great pandemic. Part of your lives will forever be identified as before. In the same way other generations tell time like, well, that was before the war, or that was before the internet, or that was before Beyonce. The word before is going to carry great weight with you. Today, you mark your graduation which has come during during the restructuring of time and of science of our own national will and of a worldwide commonwealth you have finished right state during well the great reset the great reboot you've gone from student to graduate When more has been expected of you than to just be an American, you have had to be responsible Americans. You've had to be good Americans, good Americans who made the sacrifices that have saved lives. Now you'll reference these past weeks as for however many weeks there are yet to come as during the pandemic, during the COVID-19, during the lockdown, the quarantine, during the shelter in place. Sometime, if we all remain good Americans, you will continue on into the after, as in that was after the virus was tamed, after we were safe to go out again, after we took up our probable lives once more. But your after is not going to look the same as your during or as your before. You will have seen the movie and you will know how it ends. You will be enlightened in ways your degree from right state never held in promise. You'll have made it through the time of great sacrifice and great need. And no one will be more fresh to the task of restarting our measure of normalcy than you, you chosen ones. You have not returned to the starting line like all of us generations before you. You're just approaching it now for the first time. You've just arrived. You are chosen in that way to enter into the competition of life just when so many have had to recover and refresh and restart and reawaken and to retake up the hard work and the unshirkable responsibilities of making the world not only our own, but of your own. Every class, of every year, moves up into the rotation and proves their value by living their values. But this class, your class, isn't just doing work that has to be done. You're joining in the work that has to be done. You chosen ones are going to form the new structures and define the new realities and make the new world, the world after all that we have been through and after your time here in the final years, the final weeks at Wright State. now the future is always uncertain, but we who celebrate what you have done, who celebrate all of your achievements, we are certain of one thing on this day. You will not let us down. Thank you, congratulations, way to go.
0: All right, and he calls them the chosen ones. Uh, what did you think a little bit there of what Tom Hanks had to say to that class? Probably a little disappointed, but that class of of graduating students.
1: I mean, first off, it just continues to confirm that Tom Hanks might be like our real-life Fred Rogers. For I know. This moment. <laughs> I mean, again, I don't know. Maybe there's some like deep, dark secrets and skeletons in his closet, but like I feel like every time I see something with him, there's just this like, oh, we're going to be okay. Tom's here. Like it's going to be, it's going to be okay. I'm looking at some uh, quotes from that speech. I like this one. He says, you will be enlightened in ways your degree never held in promise. You'll have made it through a time of great sacrifice and great need. No one will be more fresh to the task of restarting our normalcy than you our chosen ones that there's gotta be some level of not just like freedom, like yippee or graduating, but also kind of ownership and responsibility like I wonder I, I wish maybe we should interview a recent college grad that would be interesting yeah, because would be. I wonder if they have like a, a disproportionate sense of like wow a lot rests on our shoulders right now to kind of lead the way or are they still like maybe understandably too caught up still in like missing out on their senior year uh, not being really sure what the job market's gonna look like I'd be really curious to know where students or recent graduates land and all that, but I yeah. I like what he's what he's calling them to that. No one will be more fresh to the task of restarting our normalcy. I think he's I think he's
0: spot on there. Which would be so encouraging to hear as you're not only disappointed not to be at your graduation, but also you're really entering to the world, the job market, a really scary time. Right, uh, for sure. And so to hear that he goes on to say, hey, you know, we heard it before your future the future is always uncertain. Just acknowledging that, right? Like hearing Tom Hanks yeah. go the future. And don't forget Tom Hanks and his wife both battled coronavirus, uh, at right. the beginning of all this, Right. he said, the future is always uncertain, but we who celebrate what you have done, who celebrate all of your achievements, we are certain of one thing on this day. You will not let us down. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, uh, really encouraging. I think if I were a Wright state student here, I would have been disappointed not to be with my friends, disappointed not to be graduating, but, uh, We're thankful for the reminder that Tom Hanks gives us. And I think we could take some stuff away from that, right? Like uh, I think all of us who hear that uh, can take away that, you know what, just because things are weird right now doesn't mean that we uh, don't have a calling. We're not chosen. We're not, we we don't have something to look forward to and a task to play. I think that's a great call by him.
1: Well, and and sometimes, a frustration of mine when it comes to commencement speeches is it can be almost too flowery, like just go and reach for the stars. Like there's just a, which is funny reach for the sky, right? Wasn't that a a Woody quote from toy story? Anyway, uh, (laughs) I I appreciate like the level of candor and honesty. Like it still is a commencement speech, but it doesn't shy away from like, yeah, stuff's going to be tough for a while still. And you are poised in a very unique way to help lead the way. I don't know. It just felt like, It felt very tom hanks but also felt like it had a a healthy dose of like reality coupled with like vision and inspiration I, i really appreciated it
0: agreed and that's why we wanted you to hear it we hope that was inspirational for you as well well coming up next at the gospel coalition three things to learn from a pastor who endured and led the same church for 70 years we're going to look at that article from the gospel coalition next here on the common good am 1160 hope for your life Welcome back to the Common Good AM 1160 Hope for Your Life alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today on this Wednesday afternoon. Uh, find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show. It's at our Facebook page where you'll see some uh, pretty lively dialogue going on around some of the articles we've talked about today, yesterday, the day before. Uh, that's a spot where you could go interact with other people who uh, are a part of the show's community. Uh, you could do the same at Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk uh online at 1160hope.com and get our podcast wherever it is you get podcast uh subscribe rate and review. Uh before we jump into this gospel coalition article uh about a pastor who endured for 70 years. Uh but before we do that Ian's going to tell us a little bit more about Thrivent.
1: Yeah, you guys, you guys know about Thrivent. I'm going to tell you anyway though. So thrivent.com is where I'd encourage you to start a wonderful Fortune 500 not for profit that's been around for 100 years. I've been a Thrive it member for like seven or eight years. One of the things I really love about being a Thrive it member, by the way, they have what are called action teams. So twice a year, uh, they're giving money back to Thrive it members to like make a difference in their community. Like it's just one of the many ways they're investing in people and they're investing in communities and, dare I say, the common good, which is awesome. And mm-hmm. uh, the other thing that I appreciate about them, though, is they're, they're, It's a great company to work for. So thriving.com slash careers is where you can head if you're interested in maybe even testing the waters of a possible career change. And a lot of people are considering that now more than ever, to be honest. And then lastly, they're hosting a bunch of free webinars. They did one with Dr. Ed Stetzer last week, which was phenomenal. I've watched it twice. It's really, really good. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're providing resources just to kind of help all of us navigate this really uncertain season that we're in. So you can go to Thriving Member Network, Chicagoland region on Facebook. You can also go to Thriving.com slash Chicagoland, and uh, I highly encourage you to check out a bunch of the free resources they're providing.
0: That's great. Well, coming up, uh, I'm sorry, going on the Gospel Coalition right now, uh, is this article, Three Things I Learned from a Pastor Who Endured for 70 Years, written by David Schrock. Let me just give you the beginning of this. Uh, He says, Pastor Vernon Lyons is my wife's grandfather. Hmm. In 1951, he planted a church in Ashburn, a neighborhood on the south side of Chicago. And until this year, for nearly seven decades, he faithfully pastored that church. I suspect most in my generation don't know him. He won't headline any conferences this year. His Twitter following is limited by the fact that he doesn't tweet Of his many self-published books and pamphlets, only one appears on Amazon. His name is no longer listed on the website of the church he founded. A new pastor now leads there. Yet for all the obscurity that veils Pastor Vernon, there's much to be learned from him. Hebrews thirteen seven tells us to remember those who've taught us God's word, to consider the outcome of their lives, to imitate their faith. No one is worthy of absolute imitation except Jesus But God has given us faithful examples to help us navigate the challenges of life and ministry. In my grandfather-in-law, I've gained immense insight into pastoral ministry by spending time with him and his family, the family that has become my own. For the last 15 years, I've observed the final stages of a ministry spanning 13 American presidents and countless moral changes in our land. Best of all, I've learned from him three attributes that illustrate Paul's instructions to Timothy, attributes necessary for enduring in ministry. So I want to read that list of three. But, Ian, can you imagine being at a church you started for 70 years? That is mind-blowing to me.
1: Yeah, it's not only mind-blowing, it's really, really admirable. Like I, I don't know that we hear many stories of that kind of longevity anymore,
0: and uh, that's that's worth honoring. Yeah. And usually for not, and this isn't a bad thing I'm saying, but usually we honor, you know, the authors, the conference speakers, the, uh, the people with the huge, whatever else it might be. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but this, um, so many of the best pastors I know, while they haven't done it for 70 years, they've just kind of faithfully pastored well in their own churches. They haven't written books that have you know been on the bestseller list or this and that and again there's nothing wrong with that but uh sometimes these pastors who pastor so faithfully uh have the greatest amount of wisdom uh when you start talking to them and so uh this is so this is uh the guy writing about his grandfather in law who has been at this for 70 years three things to learn from him let me read the first one uh single mindedness When Paul considered ministry at the end of his life, he told Timothy, his son in the faith, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Paul had seen men like John Mark turn back from ministry only to return later. He'd seen others like Demas abandon God because of their love for the world. Paul knew what it was like to run the race to the end. In Vernon's life, I've seen a pastor who devoted himself singularly to the Lord's work. He didn't see the pastorate as a stepping stone to something better. He didn't look to plant a church to find a larger one. He didn't spread his influence as far as he could. He invested himself in South Chicago in one church for seven decades. Mm-hmm. In our conversations, his love for the church always shone through. Vernon loved his church and all other churches. He often asked what I was preaching and how my church was doing. He never tired of thinking about praying for and serving The church, his focus was singular, so much so that he was arrested and fined $25 for littering in 1968 because he was passing out gospel tracts. He also read voraciously until his late 80s. Vernon traveled to conferences to learn and to grow. He developed a rhythm of rest. He always took January off. Hmm. His passion for the Lord and his church were undistracted. He modeled the self-discipline necessary to avoid civilian pursuits and to keep his hand fixed to the plow, that's good stuff right there, man. Anything yep, stand, stand out, out to you about that one? Uh, that he took off every January. He knew how to rest. How do you make it seventy years? You unplug every now and then. And it sounds like uh, he he had that right rhythm uh, of that. I think one helped lead to the other.
1: How, how did I know you were going to pick up on the vacation part of that?
0: <laughs> I didn't say vacation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, mean, I know you didn't say it. Um, all right. Number two, character in second Timothy two five, Paul also declares an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Here's his point. A pastor must serve according to the rules. His life must be marked by integrity and all those habits of heart that build a good reputation for Christ in his church. In other words, the pastor cannot build his ministry on a foundation other than the one laid by Jesus Christ. He cannot peddle the word with insincerity and dishonesty, nor uphold the justifying work of God if he himself does not show progress in grace. Mm-hmm. Truly, character is at the heart of an enduring ministry. And in Pastor Vernon, I found a life marked by honesty generosity, and humility. I wish those three things, by the way, wow. were more uh, universally celebrated. Honesty, generosity, and humility are not things I tend to see a whole lot when people are dusting off a resume or they're right. you know,
0: bragging about their accomplishments. I, I love that he highlights those three. Absolutely. At the end of that one, I don't know if you saw it, it says at age 92, In the days of COVID-19, he's even opened a YouTube channel to speak the gospel. (laughs) I love it. It's so good. (laughs) Number three, hard work. Paul concludes his message to Timothy with a call for hard work. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. This is certainly the case with Pastor Vernon. Over seven decades, he initiated countless programs, made thousands of home and hospital visits, preached the gospel thousands of times, worked with local missions to the poor, defended the faith in public, Traveled overseas to encourage missionaries, led by multiple Bible building campaigns at two locations, founded a Bible institute, trained innumerable leaders, and the list goes on. He worked hard. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, which, again, told, is yeah.
1: I think it's a thing that people know is admirable, but I, I don't know. Do you find that, like, working hard is less of a characteristic that you see now than you maybe did 20 years ago?
0: Yeah, I do. I And and I don't mean that as like a curmudgeon. I don't think we valued necessarily hard work as much as like visible work. Like we'll work hard if it's visible, but it sounds like, you know, this guy doing a lot of behind the scenes stuff, making those hospital visits, you know, studying it's, yeah, it's, it's impressive. He says as an old school pastor, he spent countless hours visiting people, listening to members, counseling couples, grieving at funerals, celebrating baptisms and preaching the word, Uh, man. What a call. And and the the article ends, look up to old pastors. He says, I've seen enough of Vernon Lyons ministry to know that I disagree with some of his doctrines and ministry method, but that's all right. He'd say the same about me. Mm. Some of the differences come from our theological convictions, some from inhabiting different generations. But this is where his influence in my life is the most uh, valuable. And he basically says, he goes on to talk about Lewis, but we'll end this. He says, those of us who are younger, uh, look up and gain wisdom from those who have endured, those who have worked hard, those who have uh, run the race, that long obedience in the same direction uh, that you and I so often talk about. Don't always go for the flashy, uh, but watch the people who've uh, who've done it over and over through the years. Uh, well, coming up next, after celebrating a pastor like that, we're now going to end with some interweb insanity. Just crazy stories we have found, our executive producer has found from the Internet That's how we close every show, and that's how we're going to close today. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.
2: Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome
0: back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thank you for joining us today on this Wednesday afternoon. We really are grateful to all of you who listen, whether you listen live on the radio or you listen on the podcast at another time. We are grateful for you Uh, You can continue the conversation on our Facebook page at the Common Good Radio Show. Uh, Also, subscribe, rate, and review to the podcast. And if you would, share the podcast uh, with somebody else. Well, uh, if you've been with this show for any amount of time, you know that we end every show the same way. Interweb Insanity, our executive producer, Keith Conrad, uh, he finds stories uh, that are funny that are cringeworthy, that are all sorts of things from the internet. We read them sight unseen, and uh, we react right along with you. So, Ian, why don't you go first today?
1: All right, out of Louisiana, a woman created a face mask perfect for sipping cocktails. Wearing a face mask in public is the new norm these days, and seeing all of the different kinds that people are making has been quite entertaining. Big companies, small businesses, and more are taking on the challenge of creating a face mask that's ideal for their audience, even if that means being able to sip cocktails while still protecting your face. This New Orleans woman created face masks that you can sip cocktails while wearing, and they're all the rage. Ellen McComer, a New Orleans local and owner of a small business, designed her face masks to have perforated, small, lip-level holes to make (laughs) sipping cocktails doable during this weird time. There's been a wide variety of masks made in the wake of the novel coronavirus, but none quite like these. Now that alcohol consumption has increased in each state due to so many staying at home, cocktails are being consumed left and right. McComber's masks have uh, been quite the hit in her community, and now the word is spreading about them quickly.
2: My name is Barney,
0: and I'm an alcoholic.
2: Mr. Gumbo, this is a Girl Scout meeting. Is it? Or is it that you girls can't admit you have a problem?
0: The next one's out of California. Herd of 200 escaped goats wanders California neighborhood. Okay. Okay. Uh, Residents of a California neighborhood were confronted with an unusual sight when a herd of about 200 goats escaped from a backyard and wandered the streets. Terry Roland said the goats were clearing brush from the hill behind his home on Tuesday evening when they broke through a fence and went wandering through the neighborhood. Uh, Roland's son, Zach, tweeted video of the goats being rounded up in the streets. Neighbors said the goats feasted on potted plants and left a trail of droppings in their wake. When I got back from the store, all the goats had broken through the fence and were wreaking havoc on the street. This is the craziest thing to happen all quarantine. I feel like we've had a disproportionate number of goat stories at the end here. Don't you feel like? I think that is a true statement. I feel like we're on a little streak of goat stories. Yes. All
1: right. Out of Pennsylvania, police arrest alleged trespasser in the shower. Huh. <laughs> when state police arrested... A Leahy County man for allegedly breaking into someone's Heidelberg Township home, troopers first needed to take him out of the shower. <laughs> Pennsylvania State Police were dispatched to a Glencourt home in the Germansville area of the township shortly after four AM, May fifth, to investigate a report of unwanted of an unwanted house guest Neighbors told troopers that a man later identified as Jose G. Vega kicked open the front door, according to records. The victim and homeowner reported Vega had forced his way inside and proceeded upstairs to use the shower, despite being told repeatedly that he wasn't allowed in the house, according to the records. Feels like I'm wearing nothing at all.
0: I feel like it's important, the headline writers there, right? Doesn't that look like he was trespassing in the shower? Like, police arrest alleged trespasser in the shower. Feels like he was trespassing in the shower. Yeah, that's what he's that. That is what it happened. Is it? Am I just not understanding that story? OK, I, I thought so. that he trespassed and then they arrested him while he was in a shower. But no, I don't think so. OK, reading comprehension is an important thing. I'll work <laughs> on next one's out of Connecticut. When homeschooling gets tough, police come to mom's aid. Parenting is difficult during the COVID-19 pandemic and police work can be too. Overnight. Parents had to become homeschool teachers with no preparation, sometimes while managing to work from home at the same time. Clinton police came to the rescue of one mom whose son was particularly not happy about having to do his schoolwork, reading at home while schools are closed. Police said they responded to the home after getting a report of loud noises, and it turned out that the source of the noise was a five-year-old who was, quote, voicing his displeasure about having to do his reading. Coming to mom's defense, police explained the importance of doing his schoolwork and listening to his mom. The little boy agreed to do what police asked, and the situation was resolved.
1: Uh, no, you got the wrong number. This is 912.
0: All right, I think we're going to end on a scary note. You ready?
1: I'm ready. Out of Wyoming, woman uh, illegally enters Yellowstone, falls into thermal feature. <laughs> no. uh, a woman illegally visited Yellowstone National Park while it's closed during the coronavirus pandemic and suffered burns Tuesday when she fell into a thermal feature. Officials said she was reportedly backing up while taking photos and fell into a hot spring or a hole where hot gases emerge near Old Faithful Geyser. Uh, despite her injuries, the woman drove for roughly 50 miles until park rangers stopped her. Near Mammoth Hot Springs, she was flown to a hospital in Idaho Falls, Idaho. The AP reports park officials did not release the woman's name or the extent of her injuries.
0: Sorry, folks. Park's closed. The moose out front should have told you. Yeah, be careful what's behind you, right, when you're going to take a picture. (laughs) Uh... That's wise words here on The Common Good, Brian. That is what we got. If you take anything away from us today, that is it right there. Well, we're glad that you joined us. Uh, Join us again tomorrow from 4 until 6. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life.